getting help to deliver top programs and help manage your time and effort. Using volunteers in school-based ag ed. That's today's topic on Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers. Welcome to Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We share research-based tips and tackle the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from North Carolina State University, Mike Ritalik from Iowa State University, and Brian Myers from the University of Florida. We are your agricultural education resource across the web. Tyson Sorensen from Utah State University. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, Tyson, tell us a little bit about yourself and what we're going to be talking about on Owl Pellets. Perfect. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, So uh, this research really uh, stemmed from the idea that ag teachers, uh, ag teaching is a challenging profession. Uh, All of us ag teachers want to be the best at what we do, and it... uh, Sometimes means that we have an excessive workload, uh, especially when we're thinking about all the uh, responsibilities and additional roles that we take on as ag teachers. And so this can lead to turnover intentions and some other uh, negative effects. And so, um, and with a shortage of teachers that are out there, um, and that that could be a, a problem, right? And sure. so. Kind of there, there's a shortage of ag teachers? Have you guys heard that one yet? And the rest of them are overworked? I have no idea. <laughs> I was never stressed as an I was going to say, like, everybody, I think you're probably talking to everybody except Marshall, who probably, like, rolled in at the last bell, <laughs> like, at 8.03, and then left at, like, 2.55, and was the guy who was, like, bell rang, I don't even know you. Sat on the table in the front of the room and just talked the whole period. The whole time. The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Marshall. He is throwing, like, like... Magical. You can't see them, but they're like air hugs. Unicorn pixie dust. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Tyson, go back. Keep keep us back on track here. So, what did you actually do? Yeah. So, um, as we looked at that, we thought, well, what what can ag teachers do? And one of the thoughts came up, and we've heard it in different conferences that why don't we just use volunteers to help take away some of the workload that we as teachers have to do? And so. As um, this research actually is my graduate student, uh, Ashley Cromer, who now has a job in Ohio. She's teaching ag in Ohio now. Um, But this was her. Yeah, definitely. She did a great job. So this was her research. Stress she is now. (laughs) I hope she's using volunteers. She's like, I need volunteers. I want volunteers right now. Day two. I need volunteers. (laughs) So wait, Tyson, when you were teaching, did you use volunteers? Uh, I did, yeah, but it took me a few years to realize that volunteers were a, a good asset. Yeah. Marshall, so, did you use them? I used them a lot, actually. People would volunteer yeah. for you, huh? Well, honestly, like, in all truthfulness, like, I had kids, I kept finding kids were interested in a topic that I didn't understand. And quite yes. frankly, like, I took over a... I, I started a program in Albuquerque, Rio Rancho that, that needed to be sustainability science, which needed to place-based. The community required forestry. That was a big part of my community. Sustainability, environmental science, a lot of floriculture and horticulture industry, of which I had, those were none of the things I had done. So I had to reach out to a florist, the forest service, a local water, um, soil and water person to help coach my teams because... I didn't know what I was doing. 
<laughs> it does take you admitting that, doesn't it, for like volunteers, or like you're just too busy. Right, and that's a similar story with me too. I had uh, most of my volunteers though came from former ag students mm. that were hanging around, going to the local community college, and they, for example, floriculture. We won the state CDE a couple of years while I was teaching. You can ask me right now if I know anything about flowers, and I don't. I'll mm. tell you that right now because those students came back that competed in it the year before. They loved it so much, they came back and trained the next five years of teams, and, and they were very successful. So former students is what was was big for me. Cool. Yeah. So what, what were some of the key things, the key takeaways that you, that you found here that our ag teachers can use about using volunteers? Yeah, so uh, the study really, we looked at like how they're being used right now, and one of the big things that we found was that in most cases, Volunteers are primarily being used just as advisory committees, mm. and they're not really being used very much in other general areas. Um, another big takeaway is we asked about what are the uh, what are the the barriers to using volunteers, and we found that most of the teachers most of the teachers said that. Um, the biggest barrier was the paperwork and wow. the uh, legal part of, of having them be signed up as volunteers. Um, that was a big challenge. And then the other barrier that people have from using volunteers is that they, they're afraid that they're going to take over the program. So those are the two biggest concerns for MAG teachers. You know, that's a lot. You know, And I'll go ahead and say it before Kate tells me. This is an old joke. It was coming. It was. So, you know, I was teaching long before, you know, schools were shut down. Our campus was very open. We had people from the community coming in and out of the, out of the, the school all the time, even the ag building, doing stuff. And so it was easier to use volunteers. But thinking now, I mean, all of us as, as teacher educators, when we go visit schools, this is the security we have to go through. And then with my own kids, when I had a volunteer, the background screenings and checks and things that have to happen trying to get that kind of a process going is, is pretty important as well. Yeah, but one of the questions I asked from this research was, because I have my own kids that are in elementary school, and I'm a parent volunteer, and there are many parent volunteers at the elementary school. Why are we not, they don't seem to have as much of a problem getting parent volunteers. Why can't we seem to, like, why is this a problem for us? So do they have a problem with getting people, like recruiting parent volunteers? Do parents not want to be involved, or, or are they... Yeah, actually, we asked what type of volunteers. Parents were the number one source of volunteers, actually. Okay. Uh, followed by community members, and then former students were the least used. Really? So for all of us, we, we are all teacher educators at our various institutions. How many of us include in our pre-service preparation programs, instruction to our students about recruiting and using volunteers. We do. Very good. You yeah. just moved there. Like, that doesn't even count. <laughs> yeah, counts we, it. we do, too. Uh, we think it's a big deal. Um, well, that's great. Yeah, I think one of, our, one of our challenges, I mean, we talk about it in passing, but I'm looking back that's at you when I talk that it is a passing comment, hey, you need to use volunteers right. yeah. to do your teams. So you basically what we're concluding is you could get a teacher certification at a reputable institution that trains you well, like at Utah or NC State, <laughs> <laughs> or you could be sparsely trained by places like Arkansas and Florida. 
Well, we, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> he didn't Marshall. say. He didn't say he had long-term management. <laughs> he pleaded the fifth. So Iowa is still in the right clear. <laughs> Iowa still has a place to go. So, Tyson, help us a little bit then, since <laughs> some of our teachers out there may not have had as deep of an experience um, in this conversation. So yeah. what are what are some of the things that you tell your pre-service teachers in getting prepared for this, and what would you recommend to current teachers if they want to kind of soak this in and get more volunteers? Yeah, that's a great question. I basically just share my story, um, my, and that was the first few years I was reluctant. I was afraid. I've heard rumors that people take over the program. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the, the interesting thing, and it and aligns just with what we found in the study, If you go back to textbooks and even in pre-service programs for years previous, the the discussion about using our community resources in a volunteer way has always been around advisory committees and not alumni, not just using volunteers in general. And all the textbooks talk about advisory committees, but they don't talk about volunteers in general. So, you know, I just just say, in fact, and I do an activity with my students, I say, list all the things that you do as an ag teacher. Now let's think about, are there any of these that can be delegated to volunteers to do? You are the teacher. You're the expert that's been trained in the classroom. Are there other pieces of this that maybe doesn't does, doesn't need your expertise that we can delegate out? What, that's really the premise. And I think that's great. I think a lot of times we think about alumni, and we think of the alumni as almost like a piggy bank sometimes. They're the yeah. ones supposed to go out and fundraise and get all the money for things. Or in a, even a better case, you know, I, I had a couple of parents that would train a couple of CD teams because they didn't have time. Or they had a lot more passion about doing those things. But there's also ways that we can utilize volunteers in our classroom instruction as well that I know that I don't think I ever really did much. But there's a lot of that expertise when you're trying to teach various topics to bring people in more than just guest speakers, but yeah, to, no. to really tap into the things in your community like Marshall was talking about. I mean, if you have an expectation to, to train on or to teach on something – if you've got a great expert in it, try to tap in. And, and it, I think the big thing when working with people, and I do a lot of work with extension agents and managing volunteers and 4-H agents, it's tough to want to give over that control a little yes. bit. And people are scared to death to ask. That, that to me seems like one of the hardest things to do is just to go through and to make that ask, would you be willing to volunteer? Yeah, I think we need to be humble enough to do that, right? And just say, and be willing enough to give up some of all of what we do. That was the hardest part for me. You know, you have a volunteer come in, and I wasn't necessarily worried about them taking over the program, but the notion of like, okay, but I think I can do a really good job of that myself, but we keep talking about teacher burnout, right? right. And so if if I think that I can do a really good job at these things and I don't want to give them up to anybody else, at some point I'm going to get burned out. And so even if you think you can do a really good job at something, there's no reason that you can't reduce your own workload if there's someone else that can do an equally good job as you yeah so i'm still <clears throat> great conversation right like i've i feel like we've had this volunteer conversation a lot of teachers would know this but on the research specifically so what you found like what were the just bullet point conclusions what were the conclusions of your study um i think in teacher education we need to focus on the bigger conversation of volunteers not so much advisory committees, although those are great. Let's keep talking about those. But let's talk broader about what uh, volunteers in general can do. Um, I think we need to rethink as ag teachers uh, how we're using volunteers. This conversation about giving up some control and thinking about where we can delegate is, is critical. If we're going to uh, 
if we're going to not burn out, we need to mm. use volunteers. I think that's the bottom line. We've had like all these, all the podcasts that you may be listening to, teachers, like you just look at this really tough problem of this um, reification. If you haven't listened to that podcast, like we've reified what has to be done to be successful and it's overwhelming. But two options are stop doing so much and be okay with that or find ways to do things better. And I just think, you know, volunteer management, if we could really wrap our heads around and devote some time and energy to building a tribe of people. And you know what? Right now with a, I have a six-year-old, I'm willing to volunteer for anything that six-year-old's a part of. I will volunteer for baseball. I was terrible at baseball, but I will do everything I can and I'll learn and I'll put in a lot of effort. I will um, go and be involved in their 4-H projects in any way I possibly can because my kids are there. And I think we've got a lot of parents that are wanting to make sure their kids' experience is good. And then if they're a part of creating the experience, they can't just sit on the outside and throw darts at the experience. So creating that collective um, situation is good. And I keep thinking like that a volunteer in a classroom is one thing, but I keep thinking about volunteerism really specifically for SAE. Mm -hmm. And the more we talk about SAE renewal, there are so many opportunities to build a network of partnerships that will receive your students and help them understand a career. That's one type of volunteer. And then I think we've got a whole nother set of volunteers in FFA craziness of like, I want to do 5,000 contests, identifying people that have these um, relationships long term where that structure is set up. Like, you know, you get used to using those volunteers and then you could, you, what, I, what I heard a lot in volunteer literature was you start to build a network of people where it gets easier and easier because you're just saying, hey, Kate, you did this last year. We really appreciated it. Will you do that again or do you know someone to help us do that? And that's how it works. It usually snowballs to the webs that they have and you kind of get tapped into those other groups. And then they actually kind of feel responsible. Like, yeah, you're the CDE superintendent for that. And then they're like, oh, gosh, I can't do it anymore. Let me find someone else. Yeah, let me you help know? you out yeah. with other ones. So I think you tapped into one of those. If I was a teacher sitting out there, I'm like, my initial reaction would be, oh, man, another thing I have to manage. It's going to be more time and, and more energy, and I can't manage what I have to do. So I think what I hear you're saying is you you got to work through those things, and if, after a while they'll start kind of taking care of themselves, and, and they'll be easier to manage. Well, yeah. and I guess I'm still kind of thinking we just came out of some conversations looking at you know our profession nationally and statewide leadership. And I think... So my brain's kind of things that we need to be doing at the state and national level as leaders in our states is developing and sharing with our teachers because there are tools that are out there to prepare educators to manage volunteers that can help make it easier to do that. I mean, there is, there is literature out there and there are programs and plans to help develop a system to help make it better. It is going to take some time up front. And I think part of it is if we can change the mindset to hopefully if we do it right, it's an investment of time. You know, we invest a little bit here. It's going to save me time down the road. But you're right. I mean, it, it is an initial investment. And if, and if teachers can be able to do that, but I think as state leaders and, you know, whatever else, if we can find a way to help our teachers learn how to manage. Because what I'm hearing from your study is we are not doing a good job of, of tapping into the, to the resources that we have in our communities 
beyond just getting advisory committees, which I'm glad to hear that there are people at least doing advisory committees. I think we should celebrate that. But how do we help people get to the next level to address some of the questions that, that Marshall was pointed out? Yeah, and well, per- perhaps and that, the first step is alumni, too. Alumni, yeah. there's a whole national system of that. Mm-hmm. And advisory groups serve such a different function than yeah, volunteers that's an they do. Part. That if your advisory board is your is your volunteers, like your advisory board needs to be a a um, governing type board. It needs to be a board that's giving you critical feedback and establishing your direction. And so sometimes it's really hard when you mix those two. It's like running for the school board or being on PTA. Mm-hmm. If you want to set policy and set direction and evaluate the superintendent and do that part of it, you need to be on the school board. If you want to like bring cupcakes or be on the PTA or help serve teachers, then you need to be on the PTA. They're both very important, but they're different. And I think that's a lot of mix-up. I teach that SA class at NC State and a program planning class, which involves advisory. And all the teachers really struggle with, like, they'll send me their alumni uh, policy for their advisory board and they get the volunteers mixed up with the alumni and like how do those become distinctly different as a challenge I think. Yeah. Well uh, here's here's the Easter egg hunt for all of our listeners. We actually did a really good podcast a year or so ago of talking about the differences between alumni and advisory and I think hitting those, right. those points. Christopher Stripling? You had to go back and to look at what those different pieces are because they are very different and about 10 times out of 9, that's pretty good odds. When I see people have trouble with their alumni, it's because they're using their alumni as their advisory council or using advisory council as their alumni. Yeah. And if you want to get into a mess, that's a great way to do it. Is a podcast the same as a podcast? A podcast, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long week. <laughs> that week podcast was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Tyson, oh, go ahead. Well, I just, and I think it's important that everyone knows. This conversation, we'll say it a lot because we want to make sure that we convey that. This conversation is not about areas of expertise of ours. Mm -hmm. So the cool thing is we have people in our profession like Tyson that is an expert and does things in this area. And there's other state experts on volunteerism. So Tyson is at um, Utah, and his email will be in the infographic. And if you'd like him for summer training or like to talk to him more about the um, any interaction with with him and, and he could tell you others that are involved in volunteer management. Make sure you can reach out to those folks. Yep. You guys are doing great things out there at Utah State University. I'll use the full and correct name. <laughs> Thank you. So they won't go to <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna go to the, going to go to the border of Utah and be like, Tyson! <laughs> <laughs> that would work. <laughs> As long as it echoes. <laughs> well, it's, you don't have to be just Utah State to be interested. You could be broadly interested, Kate. <laughs> yes, but you said that he's like, he's... He's at, at Utah. He's at Utah. He sits on the highest peak of the <laughs> He's at Utah. Go find him. He's just like a, like a, like a Tyson Easter egg. Like yeah, Tyson is somewhere Tyson. in Utah. If you can find him, <laughs> then you can ask him about volunteers. Yeah, the reward is you get to learn all about volunteer management. It's like a locker room. <laughs> All right. Best of luck, everyone. <laughs> this is this is devolving quickly. Um, Tyson Sorsen from Utah State, thank you so very much for being with us today. This is a great topic. I hope uh, the teachers think about this. Continue to find ways to tap into the leaders in the, or the volunteers in their communities uh, to help make their um, jobs easier. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. 
Be sure to follow Al Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.